to the Nursing and Midwifery Health Programme podcast, where we dive into issues that impact nurses and midwives in today's workplace. I'm your host today. My name is Cherie Huggins. I'm one of the senior clinicians at the programme, and I'm joined today by Maura Junger, clinical psychologist, or should I say clinical health psychologist and CEO of the Sleep Health Foundation. Dr. Junger has extensive experience in understanding and addressing the various challenges that impact our well-being, particularly in the realm of sleep health. Welcome, Maura, and thank you for joining us today to shine a light on a subject that doesn't seem to get nearly enough attention, and that's how older nurses and midwives are navigating today's workplace. Today, we aim to bring the issue out of the shadows and into the conversation and highlight how experienced nurses can thrive and that age needn't be a barrier to that. Statistics from the WHO National Health Workforce Data Portal indicate that in Australia, nurses over the age of 45 make up a whopping 45% of the workforce and midwives an even bigger 57%. Yet it seems that their experiences and unique challenges can often remain untapped. Moira, welcome. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Now, look, the last time we spoke was at the Nursing and Midwifery Health Programme Wellness Conference, and that was earlier this year. And I know at the end you were approached by a number of nurses, and some of those were older nurses. And I'm just wondering, what, what concerns did they share with you? Yeah, that was interesting. That was um, a lot of them were people I used to work with too, which was lovely, a bit of a reunion because I was a nurse in my first career um, back at, you know, back in the 89 through to late 90s and then early sort of did bits and pieces while I was still establishing myself as a psychologist. (laughs) So, yeah, so that was, it was really, um, really nice to speak to those nurses. Excuse me. And I, I was just so impressed that they were still doing the shift work Mm. And the difficult work that I ran away from, like I basically knew in my twenties that I was going to be too tired if I kept doing those late earlies and the many, many nights in a row. So that's what they were talking to me about. They were saying, um, they were saying they had a lot of problems with their sleep. Mm. It was common. And they were saying that they'd tried a lot of things and it was really hard to get help. Yes. And they had big concerns around sort of rotating shifts around how tired Mm. they were, how that impacted on their relationships and their energy. And they're even that you know more risk of injuries and things like that. They're so, so I just took my hat off to them and thought I was a little bit embarrassed that I thought, gee, here I am with oh. that. Even though I've got a difficult job now, but it's mm. it's easy in terms of my sleep. Like I can, you know, mm. I don't have to keep rotating around, and I don't have to keep, you know, trying to vie for getting Christmas Day off or my, my sister's wedding day off, mm. and all those difficulties that I really, I just yeah, I'm just so. <laughs> So in admiration for, for, yeah, for the people listening to this, um, the nurses and midwives, uh, yeah, and I, and I know that there's lots of sleeping difficulties. So, so yeah, so I'm happy. Thank you so much to the Nursing Midwifery Health Program to have me on this, you know, podcast and this opportunity. So, yeah, really looking forward to what we can, where this can go and um, the kind of things we can hopefully can give some helpful information and helpful tips. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Maura, you're very well placed um aren't you given that you have worked as a nurse and so you can really speak of the experience so um you know a rare commodity so thank you very much for sharing your experiences um with us and giving us um uh, the benefit of your expertise now 
Look, I'm just interested in your opinion about just societal attitudes towards, you know, older nurses, older people in general. Um, you know, are, are older nurses, older midwives seen in a negative light, do you think? You know, are, are, are we viewed as less productive? Because, I, you know, I'm a, an older nurse myself. Um, and so I, you know, have my own experiences, my own opinions. But, you yeah. know, do, do are we seen as less knowledgeable or are we considered to be a really valuable pool of knowledge um yeah. uh, to be to be tapped into i think that i mean i don't know for sure like i'm not you know i'm not an expert in mm. in the literature mm. on this but I, I what i see and what i hear absolutely there are societal trends or attitudes that don't really value older workers mm. um particularly male or female mm. and i'm ashamed to say that even back in my day when i was this young you know whippersnapper 20 something year old nurse mm. we were prejudiced against older nurses like especially the ones that might have come in on bank i'm not sure if it's still called that like the casual yeah you know, casual pool yes um and they were you know we were a little bit I thought we were very a bit impatient. They were sort of we thought they were faffing around a bit with the technology, and they mm. hadn't used that particular pump before, and the, they weren't up with stuff. So yeah, there was a bit of discrimination, um, lo low level, or you know, I don't think I ever was nasty to anyone, but I think mm. in my mind, I had internalized, you know, prejudices against older workers for sure. And I know that, um, yeah, I know that they do, it does exist, and I know that it's difficult for um nurses uh, i was going to say i was, should have said this earlier i was thinking about mm. this as my expertise is you know health and sleep you know mm. I've spent a lot of time yes. thinking about well, working in it and the research around sleep and health and how to sleep better mm. and the risks of it but i also want to point out too that there's a lot of it's sometimes it's more of an industrial relations issue it's not just a health issue it's more of a, a practical issue it's an industrial relations issue it's oh. a family and uh, work-life balance issue that there's a lot of people who want to do, you know, lots of nights in a row mm. um, or, you know, many extended shifts because it's mm. the extra money or it's, a, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. childcare. If one of, you know, if they do, they choose to do lots of nights because it helps with childcare. Mm. There's all those sorts of things that I think that that stuff is fine when you're younger and you probably mm. can cope. Mm. What I see is that I don't know the, the older nurses probably don't need to do that anymore like they don't have the childcare responsibilities mm. or they might have you know grandchildren actually by the time they're still working and I wonder I think that's a really important point to make that it's sometimes it is choice to do mm. even though it's a, an unhealthy choice it's like it's a choice that it's because it's paid more or mm. I don't know what else to do I don't mm. you know I, I like the politics of day shift make me want to do night shift or there's mm. all sorts of practical things sometimes that it's not just about health yes um, but yeah, and they, I think he raised this really important point around societal attitudes, and mm. um, yeah, I think that women, uh, um, you know, ninety-seven percent, I think, of nurses and midwives are female. Is that is that am I accurate? That's that's right, Maurice. So it's ninety-seven percent because the, the stats are amazing. Ninety-seven percent of uh, midwives are women, and I think it's eighty-one percent of nurses are women. So those are big numbers we're looking at, aren't we? Aren't we in terms of you know how how these uh, issues uh, impact on women in particular? Yeah, I mean, what might this? I mean, uh, do you know of any supporting stats or anything? Like, my view is that there would be discrimination and all that stuff I was talking about that even yeah. I remember. What's yeah. the what's what do you know about sure. that? I suppose in your role, and and so look, um, 
the Australian Human Rights Commission. So I, I picked up some stats from their site mm -hmm. and they're, they're actually saying by the year 2050, around a quarter of all Australians will be 65 years and over. So, you know, it's an aging population and therefore, you know, the, the uh, nursing workforce will also be aging. Um, and a lot of people um talked about um you know a lot, lot of people over the age of 55 talked about how they felt that they were discriminated against and that was their experience um and they felt that they there were major aging was a major barrier to finding a job or getting more hours paid work um and certainly they felt that they were a disadvantage to their their counterparts so you know the people's experiences are quite significant and and also when we talk about attitudes i know studies have been done where um uh, you know in relation to unique challenges for nurses and midwives and very much um people have talked about feeling a lack of respect um and a lack of educational and promotional opportunities in the workplace and that was I took that from a study that was undertaken by the University of South Australia's Health and Clinical Science Division. It's one of the biggest um, uh, studies done in Australia. And, and in fact, it was based on um, a multidisciplinary um, sample. However, um, they were all health workers. So, yeah. you know, this is this is something that's real and yeah you know quite a concern i think i know and you don't feel old i mean i'm not sure i mean i can disclose i'm 54 like you know next year 55 and i think gosh that seems you know how you sort of creeps <laughs> up on you yeah, <laughs> and, I like, do. and recently people have been starting to <laughs> stand up for me on the tram and things like that I know. And I thought, oh, how lovely, but jeepers. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, I don't think I'm in that bracket yet that I must I must look a bit like I'm 95. Um, but, I, you know, so all those sorts of, it's a bit confronting that there's discrimination, mm. but also there's this lovely sort of respect that people are saying mm. by their standing up, oh, you, yeah, I think you're a, a woman who probably needs a seat more than I do. Yeah. And so... <laughs> um, and I think yeah, nurses yeah, nurses that are I yeah, it's it's we are we we do we get more tired than we did mm. when we were in our twenties. We true. probably are at more risk of, um, you know, I don't yeah, it's just the, the standing all day or and the lifting mm. or the, all the the roles, uh, and even with say menopausal symptoms, I'm sure I'm jumping ahead of because we'll get to this, mm. but you know that you forget like things that you think ah oh, you know you do have sometimes some cognitive. Um, impairments that aren't that aren't necessarily sort of dementia related, but you mm. some, when you're sleep deprived mm. and you're um, sort of getting older, you do yeah. It's it's a sort of a normal part of of mm. being tired in your fifty. Mm. And if you're working full time or doing these sort of responsible jobs, yeah, it's tough. I think really tough. It's really tough. And, you know, and it does creep up on you. And, you know, I, I'm in my mid fifties as well. And so my experience is the same. You know, you, you're at the way you see yourself is one thing, but <laughs> yeah. the reality yeah. can be another. <laughs> Other thing. people tell you, yeah, how they see yeah. you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And those aches and pains and things are, re are, are very real, things that you just took for granted when you were younger, working in nursing. The physical aspect, you know, is not a challenge for you until you suddenly, you know, you arrive in your, your middle years and suddenly you realise that your back's playing up, your knees are hurt, aching, you know, can't sit for so, so long, can't stand for so long. So the, yeah. these are real issues, aren't they, that we're facing? And I, I, I'm just wondering if... Um, 
you know these challenges are acknowledged in the in, in the workplace um uh, by you know those people who 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 make the the rules about when we should work how we should work as as older nurses and are they taken into consideration uh yeah. don't know what you're i think yeah i don't know that they are i know that we are like the sleep health foundation i know a lot of people who are doing research in this world people who are specifically looking at nurses and, and more broad shift work uh they they are coming up with some really compelling evidence of uh of the health effects of shift work and that it is it just it does get harder as you get older but i don't know this i can't say that it is being taken seriously yet at, because even at a more even if we take the conversation away from older nurses and midwives mm. and just to just more society attitudes to sleep yes really yeah people don't really take it that seriously um uh, even though everyone intuitively knows, oh, yeah, sleep's important, sleep's important, but in the big picture of like health, for instance, and all the other things that people are trying to sort of get into workplace well-being, mm. I, I know for sure because I go to, you know, Parliament House in my new role and I go and try and advocate and I get on the radio and I do things like this. <laughs> but when I'm with, I, I think, gosh, there's, um, it's a really crowded space. There's, there's other issues. There's bullying and there's um, all the climate change. and Yes. And there's homelessness, and there's cost mm -hmm. of living, and um, there's dementia, and also, so I'm against. Uh, sometimes I'm adv advocating and thinking, oh gee, even me. People sort of look, they think, oh sleep, okay. Well, I'm talking about really big things that people are going to die like tomorrow, and but so sleep's a bit of a harder sell mm -hmm. because it's a longer, it's a bit of a slower burn, it's a bit of a longest, mm -hmm. the longest term thing that you maybe the the effects are felt later bit like sort of melanoma you might be you know doing your sunburn and yes. then 20 30 50 years later is the the ill effects yeah. so it's it's harder to and, and the other factor is that we haven't sort of talked about yet is that there's a big variation in sleep needs and whether they're a night owl or a morning type because oh, yes you know you're more you're quite well suited to shift work generally if you're a shorter sleeper like require mm. less sleep mm. And if you're more of a night owl, that you you sort of you tend to be a bit more flexible. You tend to be um, someone who really quite likes the late nights and quite likes sleeping in. And so, um, <clears throat> and so I think that's what hasn't been taken. Even if sleep does, uh, and employers start thinking about it more, and what doesn't, what hasn't been taken into consideration mm -hmm. is, is the individual variation in sleep length yeah. and sleep what we call chronotype. Like you know whether you're a night owl or a morning type. Mm -hmm. And when I was a nurse, like full on, you know, in the nights, like 30 years now, you know, 30 years ago that I was a full-time nurse, have a, mm. you know, a full-time nurse this century, put it that way. Yeah. But last century, when I was a full-time nurse, I preferred early shifts. Like I would have loved, I could have done five days straight, easy peasy, starting at seven. Yeah. There were my counterparts or, you know, lots of people who preferred the night shift and preferred the PM. What we used to call the PM, the evening shift. It yes. used to be sort of mm. one to nine thirty. I'm sure it's about the same still. Mm. And I just couldn't believe. And I thought, oh well, what do I know? I'm just a young junior burger. You know, I don't know much about rosters, and I don't know much about life. But because mm. the, there was a there's a real sense. It was a no. You have to do. You, you've got to do your X amount of earlies. You've got to do your X amount of nights. Mm. And you got because that's just fair. But yeah. there because there's no consideration, and I think it's still not. There's not. There's no way it's considered yet that some people really do for genuine reasons, mm. prefer for health reasons and for money reasons to do mm. the night shift and to do the night and to do the evenings. And 
and let them why, why not have a why not be have more flexibility with that that would be yeah. you know that would be really i think that's good do you know whether there's much flexibility with sort of self-rostering and you know unit-based staffing Look, in, in in my experience and what I hear other nurses saying to me when they, you know, when they join the program um, is that it's it's becoming more flexible. But you know, realistically, yeah. there's only so much they can do. And yeah. and but it's like you said, Moira, I really feel that maybe they should be capitalizing on the people who prefer the night shifts and not making it a, you know, you, you have to do yeah. your share of the, the you know, of the nights, et cetera, et cetera. Because as you said, I, I've speak to nurses that absolutely struggle with it and don't function well. And particularly yeah. if there's a quick turnover. So if they have to do a week of nights and then back to days, yeah. you know, they're, yeah. they're struggling yeah. with that. Absolutely. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's, that's something that, you know, hasn't to being taken into consideration for sure yeah, yeah. but and sleep sleep is is you know one of the most important things when it comes to health and well-being isn't it um it is i think i mean i'm biased and think it's the, <laughs> the <laughs> i think it's the foundational pillar yeah. we talk about the pillars of health yeah. and you know yeah. sleep diet and physical mm. fitness slash mm. exercise are the, the the key sort of the basics you know getting the, the core pillars that underpin mm optimal functioning so both mental health functioning and physical mm. health functioning mm. and until recently sleep was just left out of all that it wasn't even a you know it hasn't been you've never seen a public health campaign about sleep in the way you had with food and no. exercise no that's right and it's just even in the preventative mental health oh, actually the, the preventative health strategy not even mental health it's just a general mm. commonwealth strategy for health and well-being from 2020 to 2030 mm. that the first version of that uh, didn't have one word of sleep in it and the women's health strategy that goes for that same period still doesn't have one word of sleep in it, which is wow. so surprising, wow. for, particularly for things like um, the women, you know, postnatal, um, perinatal, even every single month when you have your period, there is difficulty for some people with sleep mm -hmm. and menopause. Menopause, we haven't even, maybe we'll touch on that now in terms of particularly if, if such a high percentage of nurses and midwives are mm. female, we're talking about the, the older bracket. Mm. Menopause, you know, the average age is around sort of 51, but the perimenal that, that people have, you know, they've sort of finished their menopause, or the, but the perimenopausal era, era goes for 10 years in lots of people. So it can be sort of early 40s through to late 50s is the perimenopausal time for, for most people. And that it's a hugely, um, hugely pre prevalent thing for sleep. Sometimes... It's the first time actually that a woman has actually reported sleeping difficulties. They might have been really okay with everything, like their kids and the shift work. Mm. And then the menopause gets them and say, like, oh, that was it, was it. I, I just couldn't keep going anymore. And mm. we know that about, um, well, it ranges up to 65%. Usually a bit less than half is what I see mostly, that mm. percentage of women reporting sleeping difficulties, but anything up to 65% of all women, whether they're shift workers or not. So you'd think that it's higher in the shift workers for sure. And it's um, most of the sleeping difficulties can be temporary, which is good news, but mm -hmm. some become really chronic. And that's what I really want to talk to the people listening to about is that if you do have sleeping difficulties that have come around menopausal time, you've got to try as much as possible to know that it will, it, it, it won't, um, it doesn't have to be a permanent fixture that forevermore, like the next 30 years, you don't have good sleep. But we have to, you've got to learn to roll with the difficulties. But if they are really debilitating, you think, oh, my God, my symptoms are so bad, I just don't sleep at all, or I, I have such bad night sweats that I sort of 
soak the whole bed. I have to, I'm up and down for that reason. Then that becomes an issue that you really urgently need to not put mm. up with that. But that's mm-hmm. something that you need to speak to your GP to say, I need a referral to a women's health specialist mm-hmm. who's an endocrinologist. And whether and wherever you are in Australia, if you don't have that access to that, you can have access to telehealth. Mm-hmm. And so I would, it's not even, it doesn't even become a sleep issue when it's that bad. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a hormonal issue mm-hmm. that you know, you, there are, sim- there are things that people can do these days to help with that. And so mm-hmm. the sleeping difficulties, um, sometimes they become perpetuated that even when the hormonal stuff settle down, you think, oh, I'm well past menopause, you know, like I'm 10 years plus menopause and I'm still having these sleeping difficulties. What's going mm-hmm. on with me? Mm-hmm. It's because sometimes it's it's the the bad habits and the poor relationship with sleep and the lack of confidence and the expectations, everything, all those sort of more cognitive and emotional factors, plus the aches and pains and the the stress of, you know, there's lots of stuff going on still in the in this stage of life. Because it's in people in their forties, fifties, sixties, often the women they still might have dependent aged parents mm-hmm. and still caring for children or grandchildren. So that's a really difficult time. And we know we all know. I mean, even the men listening shouldn't be offended that women, in general, do take on the lion's share of the home-based care. You mm. know, the, the household and the family caring responsibilities, and so they're trying to also cope with these other things, the hormonal changes, shift work. So I really urge people to um, look up as much sleep information as you can get, like the Sleep Health Foundation. Mm. Um, look up many women's health information you can get like via websites such as Jean Hales for women's health and we'll put all these attached to the podcast at the what they call the show notes mm. um, but we'll put lots of links to where you can get good information but but I'm sure we will ask me about that soon anyway we'll get to what you can do <laughs> mm. but I just want to flag menopause as a you know like wow a, a big thing that doesn't it just doesn't get the recognition or support in in society in general yet would you agree with that? Oh, Maura, I absolutely agree. And, you know, thank you for sort of flagging that up in that really significant way, because I speak to a lot of nurses, and I'm sure my colleagues do as well, that are really struggling, um, uh, struggling with all the, you know, things that we all deal with in life on top of dealing with menopause symptoms. And sometimes they don't even recognize that that might be the problem. Yeah. So quite often, you know, we will say, go and speak to your doctor about it because, you know, these mood swings you're having, issues with sleep, etc., might be a hormonal thing that, you know, that that can treatment can help with that. Yes. And so to hear you sort of make that put that message across so clearly, I, I think that's great. And it's also encouraging to hear you say that, you know, it's not the same for everyone. And some people will kind of ride this this kind of storm out yes. and they won't yes. need that help. But it's important yes. to know that, you know, to recognize when perhaps you've been putting up with it for just a bit too long, isn't it? Absolutely. And because and because it's about 50-50 roughly, like most statistics say that 50% of women uh, say, not sail through, but do, but don't really, menopause is just a thing. They just, yeah, they ride the bumps and they, it's okay. They notice a few things, yeah. but they're, they're all right. Yes. But 50% that don't, and that's huge, isn't it? You think, yeah, that's a lot. But then you might think, oh, my sisters or my, my colleagues or my mom or my, they all sail through and I feel like a bit of a whinger if I'm carrying on about it. But you've got to remember that you're different and you're unique and you can't really compare even, 
people from the same families, let alone friends and colleagues and how they cope with various things. Because it's not just your own hormones and your genetics, it's your social circumstances, it's how much social support you're getting, it's what kind of shifts you're doing, how many how many per week you're doing. Because, you know, if you're full-time, you don't. there's not enough rest time. Um, and you might be full-time because of the, you know, financially, there's a financial imperative to it, even though you know your health is not matching that. Mm-hmm. And that's a difference. Mm-hmm. At least, um, you know, encourage people to, even when it's a financial imperative, to even mm-hmm. try as much as possible to think about that, mm-hmm. and whether sometimes it might be dramatic things like downsizing the house mm-hmm. or, or different mm-hmm. rental because I think, well, look, it's not worth it. You know, I'd have to, or, or asking for help, asking for financial assistance. There's mm-hmm. lots of financial counsellors that are out there that can help with debt and can really, you know, particularly if it's been a nasty divorce or something horrible. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, I mean, here I am, it's not, I don't know anything about finances, but I know that um, in my psychological life, when I've been a, you know, been a psychologist, well, I still am, but I'm, you know, doing this job full time. Mm-hmm. There's so many things I think, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that these, you know, some really good, low quality, um, high quality, low cost, uh, you know, access to financial counselling, and and we'll put, I'll, I'll do my homework and put a, a link to 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 those sorts of services in the show notes. Brilliant, brilliant, and more again, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people who feel that they are stuck. A lot of nurses that feel they're stuck and they can't, you know, um, uh, reduce their hours uh, or. or do something different that doesn't pay as well because yes. they are so financially committed. And yeah. I guess this will move us on um, to, you know, looking at what can we do to plan ahead so that we don't find ourselves in these stuck positions uh, in our older older years, you know, maybe looking at, you know, how how our super is tracking, you know, yes. what, what will it mean if I if I start to wind down a bit, you know, in my 50s, as opposed to waiting until I get to the retirement age of, you know, 67, I think it is now, yeah. um, you know, yeah. just, just the thought of working um, as a bedside nurse until you're 67. Wow, yeah. I, I just yeah. can't imagine that. So, um yeah. I think it's great that you that you raise that you know in terms of being flexible about how we can move into our older older years yeah absolutely i think yeah being as yeah as proactive as possible with that mm-hmm. yeah be be across yeah, talk to someone about how much super you have and how many years that means and what kind of retirement you do want or how how long is it when your last child doesn't need school fees or all the various, you know, the various things going on with people because they are the thing that's relevant to this conversation with the sleep health person because it's they're the things that keep people awake at night. Yeah. You know, not only, you know, there's a, a big, a, probably more than half of people's sleeping difficulties are around the racing mind and not being able to mm-hmm. shut it off. Mm-hmm. And I know that that racing mind often means that the demands of life, various things, um exceed the perceived resources you sometimes just think i just am not going to make ends meet whether that's financial or emotional just various tasks and that keeps people awake so the other things that keep people awake for so much um are this you know hormone dysregulation Mm -hmm. and body temperature Mm -hmm. um and also sleep disorders i think that's half of the the other the big half of people who are having difficulties with sleep have a sleep disorder and whether they know it or not because and a big one for women in menopausal age and this is the group that we're talking about today is sleep apnea 
Oh, yes. Of yeah, because we all, even even me, even someone who's sort of mm-hmm. been so, I'm a nurse and I'm a psychologist and I've been around the sleep world for ages, mm-hmm. I didn't really know until recent years myself mm-hmm. that the risk of sleep apnea, which I've always associated with it as a male thing because it's four times more likely in males and it's much more likely in overweight people. And mm-hmm. so I just never really thought I was much at risk of that. Mm-hmm. And then I realised that two of my sisters are having difficulty and they're on CPAP machines um, you know, the, the cause, continuous positive airways pressure mm. to well, nurses, people listening to this know what CPAP is. Um, and I realised, I thought, wow, this was sort of hidden knowledge that when you get to menopausal age, your risk of sleep apnea is about the same as males. Oh, my gosh. I didn't yeah. I didn't realise that. And that's yeah. quite... Mm. Yeah. So if you're, so if you've sort of put on weight, every woman I know, myself included, most people put on weight in their menopausal age around, around the tummy and around the the chin sort of oh, yes. neck area and they're the two high risk things for sleep apnea when you're especially when you're lying down that sort of puts a bit mm. more pressure on the upper airway mm. and it's the first time people are snorers usually they haven't been snorers but their partners are saying oh god you're you know you're you're oh. driving me nuts with your snoring now so if you if and then, and that excessive daytime sleepiness or the excessive sleepiness that people often associate with oh isn't this normal because I'm older isn't this normal because I'm a shift worker isn't this normal because I'm busy it's like no not ex- excessive daytime sleepiness or that evening sleepiness or unexpected unintentional naps and things like that that's not normal mm-hmm. for any of us and so if you do have excessive daytime sleepiness definitely mm-hmm. and if you're a snorer and if you think oh hang on yeah it, it might have only just come on in um, menopausal age mm. get yourself checked out for sleep happening and that's just via a gp via and if it, again if you're in a remote area you can have um sleep studies they, these days a lot of them are home based they can send you the equipment um and i know that um i was at a, a doc um, i was at a conference the other day and the doctor asleep a really leading australian respiratory and sleep specialist he was saying that 70 he thinks 70 percent of sleep apnea is cured by weight loss Oh, so, but that's hard to do, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's so but, hard to do, yes. Yeah, but that's another story. We could, but, mm. but anyway, I just want to flag that they sort of, it's, it's these sorts of things we need to talk about as well in this conversation. Sure. And so, what you're 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 saying, Maura, is don't normalize daytime yes. thing, even no. if you're a shift worker. Don't normalize it. If if you love a daytime nap, you mm. know, once a day, and it's after lunch, and it's you know, and you've got the luxury to have a quick little 20 minute nap or you know that that is normal that's fine but if you're really thinking even that i need naps all the time i'm falling asleep at the wheel or you know even at traffic lights i'm falling asleep in meetings that's yeah that's too much that's not good for anyone no matter what age you're at so and i think that we normalize and i and i I speak from experience because i was actually um, sorry if I'm telling too many personal anecdotes here. You can edit hey, them out cool. later if you yeah. want. Um, <laughs> I was, it's funny, I was, yeah, here I am. Yeah, I was in my 40s. I was very busy, had, you know, three dependent children, mm-hmm. had a dad next door with dementia. I was busy, busy, oh. busy. I was busy. And so I thought it was normal to be, you know, really tired and sleepy and mm. seeking. I was giving sleep talks, like going out and, and I'm coming back home wherever I could or going to have a sleep. And I thought, oh, mate, that's, and I didn't know that that's a bit excessive. And then when I had a sleep study, yeah, I did have mild sleep apnea and I had quite significant um, periodic min- limb movements in sleep, like so restless legs. Oh, yeah. And I had no clue. And I'm someone who's sort of meant to be an expert. And mm. so I think, and so the, the legs, the, the apnea didn't need um, fixing up, like it didn't need CPAP running. It's quite mild. 
and I just lost a bit of weight and that was fine. And also the legs was fixed really good, really well with um, iron. I, I didn't realise I was low in iron and ferritin because my haemoglobin was fine, but I hadn't really checked on those other things and they were low. And so, and magnesium was, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know. I went on um, iron tablets and I still do, I don't take them every day, but I, I sort of, I make sure I, you know, get that checked every couple, like every six months I have a blood test just to check out my, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's just another anecdote. Hopefully that's useful. And I think it is useful. I think it's really lovely to hear about these personal experiences because, you know, it makes people feel they're not isolated, then they're, they're not alone in this. And even yeah. myself, as you were talking more, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I walk around the house all the time saying, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Yeah. I, don't feel, I don't really feel refreshed <laughs> in the morning. So you've reminded me to yes. go off and get, your, get my bloods done. Yes. Um, because, you know, we, we do, don't we just go, we keep pushing through and pushing on as nurses we're looking yes. after everybody else yes. but we're not necessarily looking after ourselves um and i i see that a lot when yeah. i talk to people in the program so i'm really grateful to you for pushing this message home yeah. today sure. <laughs> um, yeah look after we need to look after ourselves don't we yeah absolutely absolutely we do because we'll burn out and i think that that's another yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you want to talk about burnout in let's, that conversation. Can we talk about that a bit? Because that please let's move yeah. on to burnout because <laughs> you know this is one of these these I was thinking about it. Um, it's one of these terms that we banter about a lot, but yeah. don't necessarily understand what it is or recognise that it's happening to us. So I what, know, mm. yeah. So because yeah, and I exactly it, and it's only recent that it's been a sort of a definition, like the World Health Organization mm. and the. Um, international classification of diseases the icd you know they they, they i i only sort of started seeing it i think you know a couple of years ago really that that burnout is is there but it's not classified as a medical condition which is really important to note even though it's in those yes. classification systems mm. it's defined as a syndrome so the world health organization says it's a syndrome that's characterized as resulting from chronic workplace stress mm. that has not been successfully managed and I think, wow, that's all, <laughs> how many times is that? That's pretty common. Yes. There's lots of stress at work and whether and it, sometimes it's tricky people, sometimes it's just the hours, sometimes it's just that disengagement with it all. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really interesting about the definition of burnout, this people will relate to this, that it's not just feeling tired. Mm -hmm. It certainly is that it's it's definitely characterised by this energy depletion and exhaustion mm -hmm. that's kind of commonly known. But it's also this what's what's less recognised and what uh, I think this is important is it's this increased mental distance from one's job. So you actually get a bit sort of a bit negative or cynical mm. relating to your job. You're kind of not even caring that much about the bloody patients and the or the relative. You're sort of a bit sick of everyone. Yes. And you're sick of everything and you're sick of your boss and you're sick of the whole hospital and you think everything's terrible. Mm. And you've got this reduced professional efficacy. You sort of lose your confidence. Yep. Yeah, you kind of think I don't, and I I've been through this before. I thought I reckon I thought I was just a really bad nurse or a really bad psychologist, mm -hmm. a bit you know not that great. But I think it, I didn't realize it was when I was really tired and burnt out. Like it's a really important part of burnout because people think about the tiredness, mm. they don't really think about that. And and the other point about burnout is it's at this stage at least it's only in those classification systems referring to occupational the, the occupational context right it, it shouldn't be applied in other areas of our life but you kind of do we all know i mean anecdotally even though officially they say oh it's not a burnout it's not a term outside of the workplace mm. i think it's quite possible to burn out in your 
family life or your social life or that you just get cynical and tired of all that as well yes i agree it's just the subject matter is different but the actual response yes yeah maura can i throw in one of my um interesting um statistics at this point around yes please yeah i was really interested to read this that um it was a an article um that i that i was reading from the online journal of um issues in nursing and you know it goes back to 2008 so it's not particularly recent but um a study they did um identified that nurses under 30 are far more likely to suffer from burnout than older their older counterparts and they're less likely to engage in strategies to deal with emotions um uh and they um, will have higher levels of agitation so i was interested uh, to to read that because anecdotally the nurses that I've seen um, within the nursing and midwifery health program, I hear younger nurses saying they're burnt out, but for very different reasons than the older nurses. So younger nurses will say it seems to be a case of, you know, having a lack of um, or, or reduced capacity to cope with the stresses in the workplace, you know, less resilience, where the older nurses are saying that they feel undervalued in the workplace, they don't feel recognised, they don't feel a part of the workplace, and also talk about the exhaustion, which we've, you know, we, we've... Uh, uh, talked a bit about so far but you know two different reasons for burnout but certainly more burnout in the under 30s because they don't seem to have the resources or the strategies yeah. to deal with it and i don't yeah. know what we, I are you agree. Hmm. Uh, I, i'm surprised I'm not, i was surprised but then i think i'm not surprised you know i think that's really hmm. important that because there are it's really distinct cohorts isn't it and it's hmm. yeah different yeah horses for courses kind of thing yeah. the same same difficulties but for different for different reasons yes um, and i think and I'm so tired of people saying, oh, the young ones are just not resilient anymore. And mm. they're all, you know, we're wrapping them in cotton wool and they need to toughen up. And I think, well, you know, you, there could be an argument for that in some cases. But look at the state of the world and the cost of living. It's very different to when we were that age. And I think that the support systems are different. Like people are thrown in the deep end a lot more mm. because of jobs, you know, workplace sh shortages. We, you know, there was a very good linear way. I felt that in my hospital-based training back in the day mm. we were really well supported i thought at least we, you know that there were certain levels and competencies that you work through and then you you know you went up the ladder quite well you weren't sort of in charge for instance when you're in, you know eight mm. weeks in mm. but there's a lot of a lot of people are thrown in that i think they're supported by older nurses or you know who are stressed out as well like whereas we probably yeah. they, were, they were supported by people who were more available mm. and and so I think there's a lot in there that you know that the when we if we think the younger ones are just a bit soft, think about their circumstance. Their circumstances are different. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I think yeah. I think you're right. I think that the demands are higher, and you know we've just we've just got through a pandemic as well. Yes. I mean, how demanding was that? <laughs> That's Most not underestimate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 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 this work, you know, the workforce that we're talking to today, that that yeah, hugely, hugely, you know, no working from home for you. Absolutely. No, no, no! Being able to sit in your jammies and do your Zoom calls, and well, yeah. some of you know, depending on your role. But if you're on the, if you're on the, in the hospital on the, on the wards, you can't work from home. Absolutely <laughs> not. So they had yeah. no respite from any no. of it. In the bit, you know. So, gosh, you know, again, we'll take our hats off to those those nurses, um, and that you know, and, and maybe just remind them that they should be kind to themselves, you know, in terms of what they've been through in, over the last last few years um yeah. you know they, they've done their best um 
And so burnout, um, are, are there things that we can do to, to kind of mitigate burnout? Yeah, absolutely. We should, mm. uh, yeah, we need to try to ensure that our, you know, wherever possible, get a bit of workload, you know, a bit of balance in terms of our workload that we can actually fulfill the roles of that we want to fill at home and at work. Yeah. Um, and so good communication sounds like sort of a, a catch-all crate phrase, but it's so important that we we just make sure that we are uh, we've got good clarity around our role and that mm. we if we don't feel like we've got enough support or clarity that we seek that. Mm. And it's a two-way street. I think it's sort of 50-50 between the individual and and the workplace. Like you're, you know, between you as a person and and your your boss and and their boss, and mm. that the the system that you're in is does have a responsibility to you, mm. but we also have a responsibility to the system that we're, we're working in. That we actually are timely in our um, talking about pointing out that things that aren't going so well. Mm. If you're not if you're not coping, don't don't wait till the last minute to put your hand up. A bit mm. like if you're out, you know, if you're back at Portsea Beach and you're drowning, don't wait till the very last minute to put your hand up. You know, for yeah. goodness tell people as early as possible even if you feel like it's a false alarm you know that i'm not coping and so it's a really it's a really important thing around self-compassion and, and good listening and mm. and then of course there's just that we're as much as possible to try and you know eat well and to move your body and to just get as much sleep as you can get when you can to be very aware of pacing you know in terms of say um when people have chronic fatigue and the like, like dread mm. and long COVID and you know awful mm. sort of fatigue syndromes, mm. the stuff that I've I know clinically from that work I've done yes. can be applied to all of us as a preventative thing around pacing. Mm. You know, it's really important to pace yourself and not to have this boom and bust cycle of just mm. burning around and then oh, collapsing on your days off. Yeah. So you find that that then that's a pattern for that's a real nurse's pattern. That's for sure. Mm. I don't think things mm. have changed because I used to. I, yeah. well, no, I'm prone to that. I think a lot of mm. high empathy, high caring sort of people do do that. You sort of tear around and then collapse. Mm. So trying to avoid that and pacing yourself in a way that's sometimes it's you know preventing burnout and sleeping well and eating well is some is much around mm. delegation and assertiveness and mm. those sorts of things and putting boundaries on people and sure. putting boundaries on workload, putting boundaries on people like people who want you to do everything for them kind of and people who might be nodding away at home listening thing yeah i need to do it's hard to do but it's probably yeah. the most essential thing to do as you're trying to build up your health and build up your resilience and protect yourself from the likes of burnout mm. um it's going to be those sorts of things it's going to be the talking and the relationships and the uh, as well as so it's not just you being good and not eating chips and drinking too much they're the thing i mean that that's that's really important as well mm. but you don't need me to say you know just don't drink and don't eat chips and <laughs> yeah. so I, well do do just care, care what i'm saying care for yourself and part of that caring for yourself is to know don't do self-harming things and you know like drinking too much will be is self-harm because you know you feel dreadful the next day you'll put on weight you'll have liver problems you know those those long term mm. it's not a good it's not a good strategy eating well uh, is a good strategy because you actually feel you know you feel better and you feel good about yourself mm. and exercising doesn't have to be that big it's expensive you know reformer pilates membership that you think oh, i can't afford mm. it can be the simple stuff it's the morning walks like i i, I would i don't get to say this my fight you know the the, the, the the biggest thing for sleep uh, and for sort of protecting your health mm -hmm. is actually 
um, being out in the morning light as much as possible. And if you're a shift worker, just whenever light, whenever as close as possible to your wake up time, you need to get out in the light and understand that that morning light or the you know the afternoon light will help you with your alertness. It'll help uh, take away any melatonin that's there because we don't want melatonin during the day. Mm. We want to have um, no melatonin and bright alertness during the day. And then in the sleeping times, we want to have, you know, really high melatonin um, and low body temperature and rest and not, you know, not moving around anymore. So so sometimes it's the simple. So I, I would, you know, advocate for, you know, half an hour of walking every day, like not, not just walking around the wards, like a, a physical walking where you perhaps have a little hill, perhaps get a little bit of puff, a bit of a sweat and you know a bit of a sweat that you walk for half an hour a day would be one of the best things you can do for overall health for sure that sounds like great advice and just as you were talking there Maura I was thinking again about some of the nurses that present to this service and you know they quite often come up with a lot of barriers as to why they're not eating well why they're not exercising and so on and so forth you know they say like I don't have time I'm too exhausted no motivation but I'm hearing from you you know almost as if if they can push past that and just get out yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's really important because, you know, in my years, it's probably good being a nurse and a psychologist because I've mm-hmm. had sort of training in both and sort of know both fields well. And mm-hmm. sure. And I know when I hear that, I call that the yes buts. When mm-hmm. I hear the yes buts, a yes but I'm tired, a yes mm-hmm. but this. Yeah. I love that's it. That's common. We all, I mean, we all do them. I do them. Oh, <laughs> I do judgment. Um... judgment to the yes butters. Um, <laughs> but the, it's, it's, I would say to that, I say, okay, well, let's, can we talk a bit differently then? And what, can I ask why you're not putting your health first? Can I ask why you're continuing to have behaviours that you know long-term probably will be harmful to you? Mm. And sometimes it brings tears to people's eyes. They go, oh, and, and, and I mean, well, it's another can of worms perhaps, but it, I think that uh, yeah, self-compassion and self-care and mm. understanding your self-worth Mm-hmm. is yeah. one of the biggest things to changing mm-hmm. your health behaviors mm-hmm. and that's that's 30 years or you know not I, i've been a, you know in the health and, and i'm a health psychologist so that's a, mm-hmm. a bit of a, a a really important part of what i've seen over all these decades is that yeah and i think women particularly and i think nurses particularly just sometimes don't mm-hmm. have the ability to put themselves first and to mm-hmm. say yeah I, and, and and so next time sheree when you hear the those barriers to mm. self-care and, and they're valid i mean they're valid they are tired mm. i'm not saying they're not tired I'm, and, and and uh, finances are tired and whatever but it's yeah. it's this bit of a global it's like taking a different mm. let's turn it around and have a different mm. view of this whole situation mm. and let's get to the nitty-gritty of why you're so tired and why it's so difficult to make the changes and and some of it's structural and of course you know and out of your hands but but at least some of it some of it is being able to have that self-compassion and um but i know i'd like to put some resources if i can too i'll put some resources around self-compassion i think sometimes a little bit of reading in that mm-hmm. can really help with um well-being and sleep and all these other things you've been focusing on but sometimes it's more of a fundamental underlying issue Mm, for sure for sure and i i think raising that awareness is going to be very helpful for a lot of nurses maura so that that's fabulous now i'm just thinking um maura as we're approaching the end does yes. it 
always fly. I know, it does. Um, <laughs> we could probably do this a second time around. But, um, <laughs> we will, part B next year. <laughs> yeah, why not? Sure, why not? But I'm just thinking, when is it a good time to start thinking about planning for our older years, do you think? You know, instead of letting it creep up on us and suddenly we're middle-aged and, oh, my God, yes. I'm struggling. Yes, I think I would start planning, you know, in your 20s and 30s. Mm. Because, you know, before you know it, people are standing up for you on the tram, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, you, you think about it from the from the outset about and, and where, yeah, where you want your career to go. Um, I think, yeah, peer support, like, you know, having a good network of, of peers and yes. often there might be other nurses or might, might be the ward clerk or, you know, might, mm. might be other people that really good peers that can support you. And making sure, you know, if we talked about that, you know, financial, get your finances, get your finances sort of at least be across them um, at, as early as possible. Like, you know, 20-somethings, I didn't care about super and all that, and I should have, you know. I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't really, you know, we weren't aware of it. You know, we know that the fastest growing um, homelessness group is women over 50. Yes, you know, they've gone through divorces and they haven't um, had their super and they haven't got things. It's just, it's been some dreadful mm. sort of dreadful things happening there. So I think, yeah, it's, I think it's just that all sorts of stuff, like starting as early as possible to empower yourself for the future. And then, in, mm. and if you're so already, already in your fifties and you haven't think, oh gosh, I didn't do that. Like, it's never too late. You know, you can mm. start, hopefully you might be someone who's only halfway through their life. You know, <laughs> a lot of, most, a lot of people are going to live well beyond 80 you know, the, the, at the moment, life expectancy, they tell us that people are going to live a lot longer. Sure. But, you know, if it's so, yeah, so start empowering yourself um, as early as possible with all those sorts of things around, you know, around getting your financials sorted, having regular health checks. Yeah. And that sort of that reflection around your, you know, your, your own self and your, your mm. core beliefs and your core aspirations mm. and hopes for, for yourself and your family. I think that's a wonderful message. And you know what I love about that, Moira, is you actually use the word empowerment. So it's not all doom and gloom. We don't have to succumb to the physical deterioration, you know, of oh. older age. We can get healthy. We can yes. take control. We can connect with what's we important can. to us. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely, we can, and we mm. and we and you will. Mm. And even if it's, and I think ten percent better is my role, my my goal. Like I just think whether we're talking about weight, whether we're talking about sleep, mm. whether we're talking about the aches and pains, some just start with small goals. Mm. You know, and this can be my sort of the main takeaway message is that mm. improving things sort of ten percent at a time is mm. much better than the overwhelming. Oh, I, you know, I need to, you know, lose fifteen kilograms or something huge. Mm. I just think about just this breaking into small chunks. Mm. Um, and in terms of sleep, I think, well, yeah, I'm going to just, I might just get, I'll try and get half an hour more across the whole week to start with, something like that, like say five minutes extra a day yeah. or just really small goals to start with. Um, and I think that knowing, chipping away at stuff is is the key. Oh, yeah, the, the biggest thing I see is people trying, say this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, but they've tried it for like a day or a month or, you know, oh. a short period of time. Yes, yes I hear that a lot. Yeah. I yeah. do. Maura, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Uh, it's been fabulous. And let's hope this timely conversation is going to carry on into the houses and homes of nurses and midwives across Australia and into the workplace too. Absolutely. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. And I hope, I hope it's helpful. And I hope I didn't talk too much. Oh, it's never enough, Maura. And I mean that. 
genuinely. <laughs> Thank you so Thanks, much. Cherie. Thanks so much. Thank you.